When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of fairness. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got kids, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. Round two is in the books, the ink is dry. For the love of Ben Earl's super strength, Dingwall in at the corner, double calf cramp, and England being two from two. For the love of Tommy Raffel. He was awesome. Wales were good, but not quite good enough. Scotland are still wondering what on earth went on. France absolutely get away with one. This is our review of round two. For the love of rugby. Right, no Dan Cole today. He'll be back on Thursday, so we'll catch up with him then. But if you're wondering what we're all wondering, here he is, live from England camp with Joe Marler. All right, Dan. How's, Thanks, the, how's the traffic? Traffic was great up until I get a puncher on the M. 25 slash 3 suddenly quick fit for the best hour and a half getting sword but now I have to be here thanks to quick fit bag shot and late yep. uh, oh for the love of rugby eh? <laughs> he's absolutely genius he's given himself the kiss of death the absolute motorway king giving himself the kiss of death so more from Dan on Thursday I'm sure he'll tell us all about quick fit I'm Ben Youngs Justin Tipperick is with me again Wales lost to England by two points what did we all make of it? For me, I was pretty positive, to be fair. You know, it's never nice losing to England, but away in Twickenham is always a tough place to go. And for such a young team to be that close, I'm pretty positive. And uh, the more I think about it, there's um, a lot of youngsters put their hands up and a lot of unseen work done in that game. But I can understand why there's a bit of disappointment because you look back at it and it's probably such a good chance to come away from Twickenham with a win, especially when, you know, England score... <laughs> With uh, 13 men is probably the the hard part to, if that didn't happen, we probably could have come away with a win. Absolutely, mate. And we're going to delve right into that and get to the to the bottom of why we think Wales maybe uh, were unlucky and how England maybe got away with one. Tom Fordyce is back. Tom, you were at Twickenham too, right? I was, Ben. I gave my two lads their Twickenham debut. 
You see it with different eyes when you take your kids. They had a fantastic time, full of chat on the train back on Sunday. We've also had a lot of chat, of course, on the Love of Rugby socials. If you want to get involved with this, just follow us on there. Easy to find. Couple of messages so far, Ben. Rob Ashford says, England was solid in defence, showed glimpses in attack. Phil says, small improvements, but we must not expect too much too soon. It's the start of the process. We need to be more clinical in the opposition 22 seems a bit harsh this bit Phil and look to find long term younger front row options he says no offence Dan Dan I would think would take offence at that Johnny Raimondi's view is great effort from England but they were pretty bloody average that was reflected around me by some of the people at Twickenham I think at the final whistle this one is from Poison Arrow small incremental improvements in defence and more importantly when to employ the blitz and when not to the attack is still yet to click Good character to turn it around. That seems fair to me. And a final one for now, Ben. Phil Sanford, new defence style is going okay. Need to be more clinical when in the red zone. Can't complain at two from two, but the next three matches are a huge step up. Do you want to pile into that one, Ben? I think start of the game, England camped in Wales half. Like, perfect start for the first 10 minutes, right? So... I always liked when we were kicking off. I always prefer that. Tips, do you have a preference, mate? Yeah, like to kick off, yeah. Yeah, there's something about like kicking off, like, you know, make them have to exit and everything like that. So England kick off, they exit, Wales come out, Freddie Shoe with a lovely little break, gets in, in around the 15, off his right foot, clean break, and essentially they trapped Wales, right? But they just couldn't convert and get some points. Then Chesham gets a yellow, England drop down to 14, and it gives Wales the first opportunity to have to actually get out and catch themselves but that's one thing Wales do unbelievably well which we spoke about in the previous episode is they just hang in there and they did so Wales get a line out they attack off that ends up with another penalty a couple of minutes later Wales go to the corner and it's I suppose it's a big call really because you go to the tail line out past the 15 meter line which is a big call five meters out why does that benefit them is it a bold decision and why does it work and how does it then form a penalty try because tips I've never been near them all mate I stand there and shout everyone but you're the man that's been near it <laughs> because it's a big call to go to the 15 right and I think so if you could explain to everyone why it is and, and but also why it's unbelievably effective if you do win it at the back it's because it's hard if you think of a lineup. if it's one in the middle you've got people around it if that makes sense we're at the tail you've just got people at the front of it and if you can get around that corner fast before obviously England players got in there to stop it it's a lot easier to defend against half half an England team than a full England team hitting it and as you've seen the speed of all the Wales players getting into that mall was the difference they beat England in there and, and overpowered them absolutely and then on the back of it obviously Ethan Roots then goes to the bin down to 13 men so at this point Wales have been under the cosh they've actually gone into a seven point lead then receiving kickoff and you're down to 13 what are you saying when you're attacking as a Welshman and what am I saying as an Englishman in terms of down to 13? So from my point of view, I'm thinking, right, stay out the breakdown. Let them have the ball. Don't infringe. Maybe let Ben L be the only one that can jackal probably. Give him the license to do because he needs to slow down the ball a little bit. But other than that, when we get the ball, tight shapes and then put the ball back up there. I want the ball as far away from my try line as possible. Anytime I can slow the game down, I'll slow it down, eat up the clock. But I do not want the ball anywhere near our end. Play down there, Wales. Have it, mark it, kick it out. I don't care. Chew up the clock for 10 minutes. What are you thinking when you're attacking against 13? Off the kickoff, I'm thinking, right, it's time to have a go here. Like England, no, they boss the air, don't they? And they got less numbers in that front line. I know they have got a good blitz, but it shows how tight that blitz will be down to 13 men. As that ball's coming, you're probably having a little chat. Well, we'll have a little go. And if it doesn't come off on that first or second phase, then we can always adjust our structure and put it back on them that way. I know, obviously... England are just going to kick a ball back and that's wasting time if you get in those kicking battles you see how much time that wastes England kick off Wales receive it they're in the corner right so you could easily just kick it long and all 
or you kick it off, right? They're losing two forwards, two jumping forwards, actually, in terms of that line out and pressure that. Wales actually decide to shift it, which is fine. Like you say, actually have a go. They don't get what they want from that. Tompkins does a little offload. So they get to the middle, not really. They're under pressure now. So now you're thinking, right, kick it. Kick it off. You're in your 22. Go to a line out. Pressure England's line out. Then they go again. Lloyd obviously then dances around the ruck. Vites Maratoji to pressure him. He pressures him. Obviously forces a knock on, which then leads to the scrum. And I'm looking at it from an English point of view going, blimey, how good. They've literally given us a gift. And from a Welsh point of view, you've got to be thinking like, right, have a go, lads. But then after that, Christ, are the moments gone? Get rid, put it in the stands, put the line under pressure. And I just sort of, that game management, and I'll talk about it again later. There's some areas and I just thought, do you know what? I just think that was a little bit naive on the Welsh part there. You know, England are big men. You know, you want to try and move them around. I know you boys are fit and stuff, but we had some athletic forwards out there and um, I just felt like we probably didn't use that enough. That obviously leads to that five metre scrum. So you're thinking, right, England got another opportunity in the Welsh half, down to 13, even if you chew away the clock. Unbelievable strike from Jamie George. Channel one. Channel one, essentially, for the listeners, is Hooker strikes it straight away, gets the back to the eight as quickly as possible when you want the ball in and gone because you've got Freeman on the flank. So there's no chance of England going to the width. So it's only going to be a direct play. But I think because the strike's so good and Benny L gets off so quickly, I think Man actually gets stuck too slow off the scrum. Tips, you'll you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think he's sort of obviously trying to go for the shove with Wales. Benny Earl almost catches him out and then he just powers over. It's an incredible finish from Benny. You know, from a flanker's point of view, you there, what are you thinking defensively? The scrum was the most important thing, how quick it was and how, how that ball gets out and cheap as you know how explosive Ben Earl is. Uh, I don't think any flank in the world wants wants to be defending that. I just think man, obviously, he's done well to be fair. He just hasn't, uh, he just hasn't stuck the tackle. Could have had a little bit more help from uh, the 10 as well, to be fair. That's the difference. You know, Biggs is probably putting a good shot in there, you know, the bigs for an outside half never missed a tackle, which was a bit crazy. One reflection, first of all, from the stands, Ben Earl is one of those players who just fires up a crowd because he's so direct. And there was a little bit about that try. There's a famous Lawrence Delalio try at Twickenham against Wales in the late 90s where he barrels over and has Welsh defenders clinging to him. By the end, he's got sort of four or five Welshmen hanging on to him and he still gets over the line. And watching that replay of that try back on the big screen, the thing that struck me was you were counting the number of Welsh defenders he got through. Right, one, two, three, four. That was probably, a, I'm going to say, it probably turned the game a bit. And if we could have, I don't know, stopped that, but that probably would have changed the game. Definitely would have changed the outcome. And But you, you have also got to say, like you, you know, Ben Earl... Not many players could finish that try like he did, even to stretch out um, and put the ball down the way he did. So you've got to give him credit for the way he's finished it. But on a Wales point of view, yeah, you, you don't want to concede tries like that. It's very frustrating. Benny Earl is, like we say, he's so explosive with the bat there. And I think he kind of epitomises what a dynamic eight can do and the effects they can have. Because even if he's not reached out and scoring, he's that close to the line. It's a pick and go fest until they eventually cross over. Is that Benny Earl's best position in the back row, number eight? At the minute, yeah, he's on fire. So, and by wearing the eight off the back of that scrum, and if you get those quick strikes like Jamie did for him on that scrum, miss a weapon, and yeah, it's not comfortable as a flanker coming off and trying to hang on to those big tree chunks of legs um, when they're going that fast. I've got to say, I thought Chanda coming himself actually looked really, really lively when he came on. And at the moment, with that back row of Roots, Underhill, and Benny Earl, like Roots can only, in my opinion, be a six, and Sam can only be a seven. So, Benny Earl almost is forced to play eight, but yet is still doing a great job. Whether that's his best position, we don't know, but it's it's interesting to see how that unplayed because I think Chandler Sakani himself, you know, I'm looking at him thinking at some point you're probably going, he might need to go because he's, he's looking pretty handy, right? A couple more messages for us uh, on the socials, Ben, and tips. First one is from LB. LB says, I thought Ben Earl was outstanding. However, 
the whole started the approach on a conversion needs sourcing what a mess right and this next message is on the same topic from ben ben says england played okay the rules on rushing towards conversions need to be a bit clearer now one of the things i love about this beautiful game is that sometimes people who have played it for as many matches as you two have played it understand every single nuance of the game and sometimes there are laws that even you don't understand so right where are we with this ben and have you taken a screenshot of the current rules as backup I actually have taken a, a screenshot of the current <laughs> rules because I always, I always deemed it was when they approached forward, but I'm wrong and I stand corrected. All players retire to their own goal line and do not overstep the line until the kicker moves in any direction to begin their approach to kick. When the kicker does this, they may charge or jump to prevent a goal, but not to be physically supported by any other players in these actions. So I was not aware of that. I always thought it's when they approached forward, right? Not when they actually moved in any direction. But I, I wasn't aware of that. You look absolutely baffled, Tips. <laughs> uh, to be fair... Do you know uh, what he's thinking? He's thinking, shit. <laughs> I, I didn't know that either. That's what he's thinking. No, I didn't. 100% I didn't. <laughs> uh, to be fair, most of the time, when I'm behind the post, I'm absolutely dying and gagging for breath. So um, the <laughs> last thing I'm doing is chasing down a charge down. <laughs> I'm like, they're going to have the two points. I need my breath back. I mean, fair play to him. You're right though because most most of the time lads are getting messages or they're absolutely dying and trying to get some fluids on board let alone trying to put someone down. A, well, especially when it's in front like that as well, right? Because you just think, well, he's going to slot it anyway. I was thinking back though, obviously, do you remember, in, well, in the England World Cup in 2015, literally Biggs used to do the Macarena before he was kicking the ball and I was like, Surely then, or if he's twitching and he's doing his feet movement up and down, people would have charged him down all them times ago, I'm guessing, but I'm not too sure. I suppose if he's planted his feet, but he's going up, bobbing up and down like he did and twitching and doing all that, I guess that's fine, but I guess... So like if he goes up and down on his toes, though, do you know he used to go up and down on his toes? Does that count as, as long as he hasn't moved to the side, I'm guessing, then, is it? Well, the, the only thing I would jump in and say is England are down to 13 at this point, right? So he's probably taking as long as he can and taking up the clock and one way of doing that is almost looking like you're ready then taking a step going no I'm going to reset again and um, I look at it and think yes George could argue well that's part of my routine right Wales could argue well you've moved and he's saying well it's part of what I do but equally England down to 13 and what you're trying to do all his experience and rightly so I'm going to take as long as I can until I've got the last second to kick this ball over then I'm going to walk all the way up to the halfway line and before you know it it's nearly two minutes of the clock's gone so it's smart by him in terms of what he's trying to do but equally smart by Wales so there's a bit of both there isn't it well he'd got it down to nine seconds I think on the shot clock so I think you're spot on Ben right so 7-5 Wales is second try so the ball's pinging around a little bit and then Wales go multi-phase and then what they do off the sideline is they use a pod of three forwards and a lot of teams run this shape they have three forwards and it's like an arrowhead and on the back of that, they have a fly half. So what the nine tends to do is always hit the middle guy. The middle guy can then tip it to the forward on the outside, or he can play on the inside, which happens very, very rarely, but often carries himself, tips on the outside, or he plays it behind to 10, who's then got another pot of forwards waiting to then carry into the midfield. So what's happened is they've hit, Wells have hit that arrowhead, hit Thomas, and the thing that he's done unbelievably well is he runs straight and square, and it almost invites Roots to absolutely hit him, which Roots does. He takes the invite, hits him, and Tommy Rafael's on a wonderful sort of 45-degree angle. Will Stewart's on the inside of Roots, and his job is essentially to protect his inside shoulder. Stewart makes the tackle, but he can't actually stop the offload. Tommy Rafael gives a lovely offload to Thomas Williams, running an unbelievable sport line like all nines do. Straight through, two on one, suddenly Wales, 14-5 up, game on again. But from this point on, Wales don't score a single point. No, they don't. They don't. And in the last 25 minutes, like Wales don't really get out of their own half. 
they keep inviting pressure. It's all the little moments. So Josh Adams is a fantastic winger, right? But he drops a high ball, uncharacteristic, but he drops it. It leads to an England scrum. That scrum then leads to a penalty. They kick to the corner. England then keep picking and going, picking and going. Genji nearly actually gets held up over the line, which would have been a Wales goal line dropout, right? To relieve pressure. But they don't. They shift it. Dingwall then scores in the corner. It comes from an unbelievable needle ball from 40. And what a needle ball is essentially is George has got the ball at the line. He's got Freddie Stewart on a, on a shoulder ball. He's got Henry Slade leading up on the outside. And then he's tunnelled it. The ball has gone in front of Freddie on the shoulder, gone behind Slade on the lead on the line on the outside and gone straight through to Elliot Daly, who does just about enough to gather it and hit Dingwall. There you go. Like England are now back in it, right? It's England 13, Wales 14. You're thinking, Wales, get down to England's half. Tommy Raffel's on fire. Give him a shot of the ball to get a jackal because all you want to do, get a three, slot a three, make England score, having to score a game. But I really want to kind of highlight the last 25 minutes, the difference between the bench, the difference between experience, the difference between George Ford and Johan Lloyd. Wales have a line on the 68th minute on the 10 metre line. And you're thinking, if you're Welsh, you're thinking, right, boys, right, we've got away with it here. Like, we've inviting pressure. Like, go to a mall and we'll get down them, we'll squeeze them and we'll keep them at arm's length. Let them play. All we need is a penalty, turn it into a four point game, make them chase it with 10 to go. Do Wales do that? No. They go off the top. Go long and on. Go down the middle. Kick it long, Lloyd. Kick it long or go crossfield. He tries a chip kick. I honestly, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Now, it actually came off and Wales regathered it. They don't go back to Lloyd again. It's like he's realised it, like this ball just has to go now. He hits it and it goes about three metres off the ground and actually hits my podcast mate, Dan Cole's elbow. <laughs> Great pressure from the sheriff. Ricochets. Wales actually regather it. It's like someone saying to them, like, lads, I'll give you another chance to get out of your half. They then go to a box kick but they go short and contestable. Freddie Stewart claims the areas he did all game. Unbelievable. So now England are in their own half. No messing around. Danny Kerr zips the ball behind all the forwards. George Ford gets it. There's no shape for England, but in fact, there's no thought for him to even look to shift it because he knows that the game needs to be played down there because they only need, like, they're one point in the game. He bounces against the grain and kicks the ball over the ruck and hits an unbelievable 50-22, right? Incredible. But even if he didn't hit that, Dyer's catching that ball and he's probably kicking it on and long and England are coming back again. So yes, it comes off. So that's now 70 minutes, but Wales have had umpteen chances to get out of their half, pressure England, defend, let Tommy Raffel try and jackal. And instead, they've just invited wave after wave of England invites. And for me, that really highlighted the difference in experience and why someone like George Ford is absolutely pivotal. So from the 50-22, England launched a line out, slapped down, three points, England slot it, kickoff received. Instead of going messing around, anything like that, no, not even a thought. Get out of your half, bangs it out, Danny goes to a structured exit. And Wales, time and time again, as they did in the first half when they messed around, just didn't get out of their half. England went back to type. It's not like this Baz ball, which they spoke about, exciting rugby. They went back to type. Although England looked disjointed, although they didn't create much in attack, they found a way of winning and that's worth holding on to. And they'll need that when they go to Murrayfield. It's always hard to attack between the 22 and say your own 10 yard line, even less now, you're halfway because you've got so many more numbers in the front line and we didn't use the pitch enough. Um, if you look back at the game, I think sometimes we didn't even, we, we were all stuck in half half a pitch basically from inside one post to the touchline. And we didn't stretch England enough, didn't stretch that blitz defence, which was probably a big part of what Felix would have loved really, where he could get his defence nice and tight, get off a line and stop us getting the ball wide. Probably comes down to a bit of game management, a bit of time in the saddle as well with um, a lot of younger boys probably being in Twickenham, not knowing probably where they are on the field as well, keeping in the structure and just knowing that they just got to go forward and try and get 
that speed of ball against England. You know, even Danny Kerr coming on the field, it just, I don't know, he just seems to get better with age and he just, he calmed everything down for England. Um, he knew when to kick, he knew when to play and everything is, his kicks are on the money. Yeah, like when we had the free kick, you're screaming, just kick the ball away from Freddie. Anyone else but Freddie. You know, I know Elliot's class, but like Freddie Stewart, even last Six Nations, we give him man of the match from kicking the ball so much on him. And, and even the last line of the game shows how inexperienced you are. 80 minutes come on the clock. We give England the front, which is the easiest line out to throw to hit. So not too sure what was probably going on in our last line out as well. Johnny B says it was England against Tommy Raffle. Harlequin, uh, 1974, pretty much the same. The England back row is not balanced and needs changing. Henry says, I wish Tommy Raffel was English. Right, he is super impressive, isn't he, Tips? Uh, I thought he was amazing. He's always been outstanding around the breakdown. Um, you know, he's one of the best. You, you know, you guaranteed at least two or three turnovers a, a game with Tommy. But just with the ball in hand this week, it was great to see him with the ball in hand so many times. Um, even the offloader came to the try. Um, he had a few carries in the wide channel and you know, it was great to see. And for me, he was man of the match. I know you guys obviously probably saw Ben Earl, but for me, it was Tommy. I thought I would have still given him a man of the match even though uh, Wales lost, to be fair. Tips, you took the words right out of my mouth because I agree. He was the best player on the pitch. He was the best player on the pitch. I thought he was phenomenal. He, at times, he was, like you say, his link play. Everything you want from a seven in terms of ball in hand and that was lovely sort of seeing him do that, but equally the, the key turnovers at key moments and as I, as I mentioned when I sort of went, went through the breakdown the last 20 he still got a jackal that allowed Wales to give another opportunity and I just thought he did so many great things that yes he didn't get the win but for me he was the best player on the pitch and, and should have won it but he's my Leicester teammate right and we don't want club sniffing after him so actually he never plays that well he's he's normally terrible all right so let him stay where he is he's very happy in Leicestershire well, I'll leave him where he is but no in all seriousness he was absolutely phenomenal. And that battle went a long way into determining who won it. Right, I'm going to ask you about another one of your teammates, Ben. So let's talk about Freddie Stewart. We know how good he is in the air. How much practice is he putting in on a weekly basis on the high ball? Like, will all his stories of, of footballers, like great free kick takers who'll wait till training finishes and everyone else goes in for their lunch and they stand there and they work at it and they work at it and they work at it and they'll take 30 free kicks or Frank Lampard will take 30 penalties before he goes in. So what's Freddie Stewart doing? How much of this is his natural build, how much of it is instinct and how much of it is just hard work every single week. Do you know what? There's a number of things that go into it. Um, but Freddie, one, he's got the statue. He's a very tall guy. Very, very tall. You know, he's extremely powerful getting in the air and almost sort of hovers. He almost ha- like gets to the top and he it's like a two seconds pass before he starts coming down. But one thing I think people underestimate when what makes these guys so good under a high ball, right, is they're unbelievably brave. They're unbelievably committed because you're going into the air, right? And you've got other people trying to get in the air. If you land, you're about to get absolutely lined up by someone licking their lips to absolutely bang you. So they're incredibly brave in how they go up and they just attack it. And all he thinks about, I know if he just stares at the ball and he doesn't think about anything else. He's just going after it and a proper tries to own the space. It's a skill. It's an art. He is world leading in that. And I suppose that is his biggest point of difference. And, you know, as Tips mentioned earlier, like, you know, last year Wales kicked the ball to him all, all game and he, he won man of the match. And this year, Again, I felt that they fell into that trap of giving him what he wants. You want to kick away from him, really, if I was playing against him. He has the attributes and all that. He has the absolute commitment. But of course, you can have all that, but he puts in the hours and he reps and he reps and he reps. And equally, he's had to catch a load of my dodgy box kicks for years, mate. So maybe I've sharpened the axe for him a little bit when I've, when I've shinned a few off the uh, on the training paddock. So uh, no, it was great to see him thriving. And like I say, that point of difference is absolute key to the way England want to play. Right, that was fun. That was a good first half. Uh, let's have some adverts there when we come back. 
Let's talk about the other two matches this weekend. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. So Arden let an eight-year-old sing Arden's Cool before the Italy game. You see, you see that, gents? <laughs> There's a bit of a backstory here, Ben. So, so the eight-year-old's name is Stevie Mulrani. He did Ireland's Call cool on a big TV show in Ireland before and I think the Ireland team gave him a signed jersey and then Josh van der Fleer invited him to come and sing it before this game. He was good, wasn't he? I mean, at the World Cup, there were kids singing anthems. I don't want to criticise kids singing the anthems, but I'm going to ask you to instead. It was... <laughs> Tom, you've, you've absolutely stitched us there, mate. Um, <laughs> it was tough, wasn't it? I mean, they, they ended up changing it in the end. It didn't go far into the tournament before I had to get changed, but yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> it's great Stevie did a great job today right but the World Cup if everyone sang like Stevie it would have been alright but they didn't and it was all over the place and it was an absolute mess and the shambles and luckily it got changed so sing it loud and proud own it like Stevie did today but the French made a bit of a bit of a hash of it tips do, do, are you going to leave me just have I just chucked myself under the bus there mate are you going to come in you going to I think my mate's gone my mate's gone <laughs> 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 oh brilliant well yeah so Stevie did it and then uh, Arlen did the business um, obviously against Italy which was you know pretty convincing in the end and you know lots of changes and sort of carried on from where they left off so job done really okay should we talk about Scotland France and if we're going to talk about Scotland France there's different pits we could analyse but we inevitably will end up talking about the TMO check it seems that pretty much everyone who was at the ground the commentators and certainly Scotland players and Gregor Townsend thought the ball was down no one could prove it look we know what the rules are and we know what the on-field decision was where is your head on this because the on-field decision has to like we we know why the referee says that and it's great the referee has primacy in that but it makes such a difference doesn't it yeah it does it does it is tough for me but like the ref's decision is the ref decisions and you you gotta live with it no matter what um because it goes back to when you're playing as a kid, really. And when you're out there, it's the ref's decision. And whatever the ref says, that's the final decision. You've just got to move on and accept it. So I can understand that. But then also when you're on the receiving end of it and you're, you're questioning why the ref hasn't seen it, it's very frustrating. So I um, can understand where the Scots are a bit angry, but we stand by the ref's call. Is there now an art in trying to obstruct the view of the TMO? 100%. No. Mate, you're, you're speaking on. to the you're, you're speaking to the king on. of it right here, mate. He would be, his hand would be under it. He'd be screaming <laughs> at the ref, saying, "I'm under it. I'm under it. There's no way he's grounded." He'd be laying all like literally folding himself up like a pretzel to cover the ball, so no angle could pick it up. He would be doing everything. You all you see is a blue scrum out, and he'd be cheating like mad, mate. Is he absolute nah? Like then, without doubt, <laughs> tips like without doubt. You've got the master of the cheats, Dan Cole. You cannot <laughs> say anything. He is the godfather of the cheats. There's no doubt. I've been at the bottom of the rack and I'm like oh my god who was pinning me down he was like pulled me out from the side and then somehow I'm at the bottom of the rack and is that Dan Cole all I see is this bald head shining in my eyes 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's always been one of those things. I guess you taught from when you're younger is to make it difficult for the ref to see. I know it's probably a bit cheating, but it's what well, you are taught from a younger age. And I'm guessing now with the the rules as well, there is little things like as soon as they get close to the line, you're trying to hold them up over the line. Uh, you see it like they carry short of the line and you're literally pulling them back over onto yourself just to hold them on the line because you know it's a dropout these days and not a scrum. Tommy and a few of the other Welsh lads nearly got Ellis Genge with it when he picked and went uh, yeah, that's the one. left. Everything favours the defence, right? So you get held up and guys are trying to do that and Tips is always trying to cheat, bless him. Bastard. And um, But the thing is, right, I think on this occasion, you've got to give it the benefit of the doubt to the attacking team. So yes, you can't see the line as such, but you know the ball's on the floor. You know it's been grounded. I think you've got to give it the favour the attack because I think so much of the game favours the defence. So Scotland are going to be bitterly disappointed. France are thinking how we got away with that. Do you know what I mean? You know, France sort of, if they lost that one, you didn't know where they're probably Six Nations was going to go. Now they're sort of back in it a couple of weeks leading into the next game and now Scotland obviously all eyes turn to Murrayfield when they host England. So, but as tips eventually kind of once the whistle goes, it's, you got to respect the ref's decision although uh, you'll be having some thoughts to yourself as you stand <laughs> when you walk back into the change rooms. <laughs> the other thing about, about these decisions, right, we will all focus on the decision. We've started our chat on the Scotland match on exactly this. It's because it's the last action of the entire match and it feels pivotal. But if you looked at that second half, wasn't a great second half. There was a hell of a lot of kick tennis. Ben, why? There was a, there was a huge amount, right? And, you know, France, France can serve a lot of their energy. So they leave their, you know, Ramos does a lot of their long kicking. They kick it long as far as they can. They basically leave all their heavy forwards, everyone in the middle of the field, and they basically just get big rests before they go to a set piece or whatever they do, or almost hoping that Scotland then run it back and all those jackalers can go to work and turn it into a physical contest. Scotland, on the other hand, know that, so therefore they're like, well, we'll just stay in this kick battle because we don't want a chance of armour running it back. And it's almost like you've got three outcomes. Like, no one wants to break in a kick battle, so you've got three outcomes. You've basically got someone makes a mistake, someone catches in the 22 and thinks, oh, sod this, I'm going to kick it off and go to a set-piece structure or someone obviously blinks and goes right I'm going to run I've had enough now I'm going to, I'm going to go and it actually isn't on it's just like you you just got bored of doing what, what what needs to be done right and all the French back are waiting for you so there's a little bit of that also you're waiting for I suppose the other thing you're waiting for is, is one kick to be a little bit short that then invites you on to almost catch it running forward onto it you then eat up meters and then you can put a contestable kick up and right and go to the air but one of the tactics which tips definitely does is you can stay in the middle of the field right and you can be in this long kick battle but if i catch it and run five meters tips can be stood on the halfway line right not be put on side but i've run five meters he can then actually pressure me so it's a kind of, it's a very strange concept so again you've got to deal with that as well with with people like tips and back rowers like waiting almost like and dupont's on it for years for france so and france were the first ones to do it when they and everyone's tried copying since to be fair literally it's known as the dupont then it basically everyone cause of the DuPont because he was the first one to do it well last six nations when we played uh, France we were on about literally just standing and having a bit of a, a stare off until nobody moved if it happened just to see what what they would do I don't like the rule probably because it makes you want to kick more and ideally we probably need less kicking in our game because it like you said that second half it can be a little bit boring to watch Tips, that's a great point because you're right. If I actually catch it, right, and all the French and everyone stood in the halfway line, they can't advance until I actually move. So you're right, you can have a standoff <laughs> where you catch it and you don't run five metres and they can't move either. So you can just stand there, almost take a step backwards, take as long as you want and welly a kick as far as you want. So it's a mental rule that needs changing and needs looking at. So in the Wales game in week one, they've piled all those points on. 
and it looks like they're going to knock out a records-breaking win in Cardiff and they stop playing. They were great in that first 20 minutes and they were pretty much dominant or they were the better team in the first half against France and they stopped playing again. Well, last week, for example, I thought they probably thought they had the job done. I, I guess, obviously, this week there's, that's going to be the biggest talking point for them all week. Uh, we've got to make sure that our second half is sorted, uh, sorted out big time. One thing is losing, but when you lose... I suppose, not firing a shot. And I suppose you come in at the end of the game and you think that second half didn't really feel like it fired a shot. That's when it hurts even more. But when you lose and you've played your game and you've imposed it and it hasn't been enough, it's, it's a little bit easier to take. So I think there'll be a little bit of patching up on that. Right, Ben, talk us through the Scotland try because it was a, a thing of beauty to watch. It was a thing of beauty. It was an absolutely brilliant team try. So Finn receives the ball, obviously. He passes it behind the, the decoy runner uh, to Tu Palotu who catches it like really deep but gives himself enough time it's a bit like Henry Slade last week 45 degree angle give himself time to then jam off his outside foot and straighten up digs in and what when you dig in essentially you're checking the French defenders and it means they can't keep going forward and they have to sit and wait so as he then comes in another great lead line decoy and all you're trying to do is get a little movement out of Gail Fuku which they do and that creates a little bit more space between Gail Fuku and the French winger it goes out the back to Duane van der Merwe who's actually worked all the way from the left hand side from his wing to create an extra number so it's gone Finn lead line out the back to Pelotu turn the corner jammed in lead line again decoy inside shot of Fiku create a bit of a bigger gap goes out the back for Duane van der Merwe who's created an extra number who then just picks it off Scotland go up the right edge right and then plays it back inside quick hands to Ben White try it looks really simple but there's loads of moving parts to it so Ben White, if you actually watch the, the footage back and if you listen to watch it back, right, he passes and he does what every very good scrum half and actually seven should do and do do is they almost pass and anticipate the next ruck's going to be further ahead than where that one is. And he actually ends up running sort of 45 almost towards the corner flag and he's just running behind the defensive line of France anticipating a break or the ruck getting a bend and to play quick ball. So he's in a great support line. He gets the ball back in the inside. But what looks like a brilliant try has so many moving parts Duen Vernemerva working from the left-hand side. Gail Fuku being turned in because of the decoy runners, creating that little bit of mismatch. And away they go. And Ben White's brilliant, brilliant support line on the inside. So it was a great, great try of Scotland. I think that's probably what will frustrate them. As you saw that in the first 10 minutes, right? In the second half, they just didn't quite fire a shot. And I think that's what will really frustrate them. And Gail Fuku is one of the best defenders out there, to be fair. And then seeing him be like a rabbit in headlights was a bit of a shock. But it shows how well Scotland did that play as well. Absolutely, mate. I, I agree. And I think the, the subtlety, the tightness, the decoys and all that little bits, they say there's so many moving parts. They've done it unbelievably well. Fuku, as you said, I know he's, he's I think he's the French defensive captain or whatever. He's a great defender and, and he's just turned it enough. And that's all you're looking for. A little bit enough. Get a nibble. Boom. Off they go up the touchline. Back inside. Awesome stuff from Scotland. Who is favourites between Scotland and England at Murrayfield? We've got a little two-week break, of course, at this point before round three. Who is favourite as it stands after these first two weeks? It's, you know, Scotland over the last few years have had England's number. We've had some tight games, but they've come out on top. So I think they'll feel confident being at Murrayfield. You know, England are two from two. And as I said earlier, really, I'm not quite sure where England are at. So I'll get a really better understanding, I think, when I get to watch them. Going to Murrayfield, a really hostile place against a Scotland team that are going to feel a little bit aggrieved, really. But what better game for them to come back than playing England? And England, what a great test going to Murrayfield. Let's see how these youngsters get on. Let's see how this team that's trying to play a different way, as they keep saying, let's see how much England have come on. So they've got two weeks leading up to it. Obviously, I'm going to say England. I think they'll have enough to do it, but we'll see. I think Scotland will feel like their favourites. 
No, the Scottish are quite confident, aren't they? As you know, Benny, they're a team that will think they can they can beat anyone, and uh, especially in Murrayfield and how much they love England as well. They're they're going to be well up for the game. But I do I do feel that England are probably do a big game. Um, we've seen patches of it. No, I'm not 100 percent sure if it's going to be Scotland or whether it's going to be Ireland. The Six Nations, they 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 will explode in one game. Lads, thank you so much for joining me again. I hope you enjoyed it. Tom, thank you, sir. The podcast king, thank you, mate. It's a pleasure. And to tips, hard luck, bud. Thank you, gents. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dan is back with me on Thursday. If you've got any questions for him, follow the show on socials and send them there. If you want the podcast ad-free, go to Amazon Music or pay £1 a week on Apple Podcast app. If you want something else to listen to, try Joe Marler's Things People Do. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you so much for listening. For the love of rugby. Sports Social Podcast Network.